If you're honest today, you've got to admit that there is something about you that you wish you could change. Something that makes you feel like there are people out there that are better than me. You may be too tall, too short, too skinny, too fat. You may not be coordinated enough. You may be a little slow. You may not have the intellectual abilities that you think you ought to have. And you've lived your life looking at other people to evaluate your worth evaluating your life and your effectiveness and God's love for you on the basis of how other people have perceived you or how you've perceived yourself. It's nothing new. Moses, remember, was called by God at the burning bush, and God said, I'm going to use you to lead the nation of Israel. And he said, Lord, I've got a speech impediment. I can't do that. God said, I'll be with you. And he, he said, why don't, why don't you get somebody else? There are a lot of other people more qualified for this than I am. But you know, God used Moses. Jeremiah, I, I don't have the personality. I, I don't have the charisma. I, I don't have the abilities to, to preach. God, you, you could call somebody else to preach. But God called Jeremiah and he used him. Amos. Old Amos was nothing but a fig picker. That was it. His claim to fame was that he was not a prophet or son of a prophet. He was just a shepherd and a fig picker. And in Amos chapter 7 and verse 15, he says, But God called me and said, Now go and prophesy to Israel. You know, I don't find anywhere in the Bible where it says your IQ or lack of it, your physical abilities or looks or lack of them, ever qualifies you or disqualifies you from service for God. God calls us and uses us, and yet one of the great things that the enemy has done to us is he has told us the lie that we are inferior or not worthy or we don't live up to the standard. But Jesus said something in Matthew chapter 6. Turn there if you would, and then if you get there quickly and you've got some thumb index Bible, you can... Uh, get there very quickly, and then you can find 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2. God wants us to understand our self-worth, and it does not come by reading the power of positive thinking. It does not come by going to a seminar on imaging. It doesn't come by getting a makeover. It doesn't come by changing the externals of your life. God answers the accusations of the enemy that we are inferior with the promises of Scripture that we are worth something in the eyes of God. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 6, 26, Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Would you underline the last sentence that I'm about to read? Are you not worth much more than they. You see, you're of infinite worth to God, worth more than all the creatures of the field and the, the birds of the air and the, the ground that He created and the seas that He made. More than all of that, you are of an infinite worth to God. 
And those of us who have been raised in the church say, Amen, that's right, you know, that's true. But we don't live it like it's true. You see, what you are is you are the object of God's attention and God's affection. God set His heart on you. And God set His heart on you to give you His undivided attention and His unconditional affection. God wants to show you that, that you are valuable in His eyes and that you do not have to be insecure or feel inferior. In fact, that is an absolute denial of all that the Scripture says that you and I are in Christ. And if we've learned anything over this last year in looking at Romans and Ephesians and other books, we've learned this. That phrase, in Christ, is significant to everything that we are. And so I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 1, and I want you to see something in 1 Corinthians 1 that I find remarkable. Paul was, we consider, a great apostle, a great leader, and yet Paul said, I am the least of all. Paul said, I am the chief of all sinners. We put him on a pedestal. Paul said, no, 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 I don't belong on a pedestal. God just chose to use me. And notice what he says in verse 26. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh. I'm amazed at the wisdom of some people. I'm amazed at Chuck Colson. He just blows me away in his ability to write and communicate and think uh, I ran into him at the Atlanta airport uh, about a month ago, and just being around him, I think, boy, he's too smart for me. But you know, God didn't choose many Francis Schaeffers and Chuck Colsons. He did choose a lot of plumbers and electricians and people that do landscaping and farmers and average people. You realize most of the world is made up of average people. He says... It, the calling of God, brethren, is not that he chose all the smart people. Notice what else he says. It is not many mighty, not a lot of Hulk Hogan's, you know, mighty people, athletes, not many noble. He doesn't say not any, he just says not many. But look at verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. I tell you, I, I've heard some things that the world scoffed at that God had his hand on. God's chosen foolish things to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. I've met strong people, but then I've met people that were invalids that had more power with God than people who were strong in their own strength. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us. Now, this is what Christ became to you. Wisdom. So I'm not very smart. You've got the wisdom of God in Christ. Righteousness. I don't know how to live. Righteousness of God in Christ is in you. Sanctification and redemption, that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I must be honest, for a great deal of my Christian life, the difference in my life and what the Scriptures taught was too great. 
I didn't understand or I didn't apply it. And, and as he says in chapter 2 and verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. I had received it, but I didn't know it. You see, we have received in order that we might know. God didn't give us something and then say, now go figure life out on your own. We receive these things from God so that we might know everything God has for us in Christ Jesus. He wants us to know the fullness of this life. In John 8, 31, Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Receiving it and knowing it sets you free. It is the application of truth that makes me free, not the mere acquisition of truth that makes me free. You see, I can, I can acquire truth, but it's not really my truth until I've applied it to my life. It's just up here in my head, but it's not become a part of my daily being and living until I've applied that truth to my daily habit pattern and my daily lifestyle. And God says, you've received these things. I want you to know them, and I want you to apply them to your life. The Word of God applied to our life tells us that we do not have to accept defeat and barrenness and insecurity and inferiority as normal. You see, God has given us, if you will, a free first-class ticket. But some of us are still trying to buy our way onto the plane in coach. You're going to get to heaven, but you know there's a difference in riding first class and in riding in the back of the plane in coach. And any of you that have ever flown know what I'm talking about. The seats are bigger in first class. The stewardesses are prettier in first class. <laughs> they serve you nicely. They give you linen napkins. You know, they throw peanuts at you in, in coach. Now here, just be glad you got these. It's different. And we fly coach because we don't want to pay the price to fly first class. And some of you in your Christian life are going to get to heaven in coach. But there was room for everybody to go first class. There's room for you to fly in the fullness of all that God has for you, but you're going to have to quit focusing on your inadequacy and your lack of resources, and you're going to have to find your resources in Christ. You see, quit. You need to stop trying to endure the failures of your life and start enjoying your faith. Oh, it's just the way I am. You know, I'm just... There are a lot of people that are successful, and a lot of people seem to have it figured out, and, and there are people that seem to be enjoying their walk with God, but I guess I'm just not one of those. So I guess I'll just endure. I'll just hobble along. I'll just be glad when I get to heaven and all the burdens have been lifted, and my life will be better then. If I read this Bible correctly, your life can be better now. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul is writing to a church and he's trying to tell this church who they are in Christ and the riches and the resources they have in Christ. Now, we've been going through Ephesians on Sunday nights. We'll pick up in the second prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 in the evening service, but I want to go back to the very beginning of Ephesians and talk about it from the standpoint of our inadequacy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus, and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. 
Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Now I want you to look at one word in verse 1. Saints. Set apart. Sanctified is what that word means. He's writing to the saints. Now, when he wrote that letter and it was delivered to Ephesus, Paul didn't say, now, there's about ten of you that need to come over here and sit, and I'll read the letter. The rest of you can be dismissed because you're not. There are people who try to make people saints. They're trying to make Mother Teresa into a saint. She already is. So are you. Oh, but I would, you know, I'm not, I, I couldn't have lived like Mother Teresa did. There's nothing in the Bible that says you had to live like Mother Teresa did to be a saint. You got saved, you became a saint. Now, turn to somebody next to you and say, I'm a saint. Now, some of you are going to turn back and say, well, you didn't act like one getting ready this morning. <laughs> All the word saint means is that you have been set apart by God. And you have been sanctified, not by your works and your deeds and your goodness, but you have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit of God. God did something for you. He set you apart. He named you a saint. Now, in you know, Baptist churches, we have this tendency to say, oh, there's old brother so-and-so, brother so-and-so, hey, brother so-and-so, hey, brother Joe, how you doing, brother Joe? You know, we'd really be better if we'd call each other saint because that's who you are. Set apart, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. I believed and I received. I became a child of God, a joint heir with Christ. I reign and rule with Christ. All the things that the Word of God tells us that we are, but half of us sit back and go, no, 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 not me, not me. No, he couldn't be talking about me. And yet in verse 4 he says, He has chosen us to be holy and blameless in love. Some, somewhere along the line, we bought the lie that God has favorites. God does not have favorites. God does have intimates. There are people that choose to be closer to God. They are intimates. God did not say to Peter, James, and John, I like you three better than these other nine yo-yos over here, so why don't y'all come go with me? No, Peter, James, and John took the initiative to get close to Christ. They just wanted more of Christ than the other nine. The other nine had the access. They, he was available, but they just didn't want to pay the price to go to that next level. And you see, we think God has favorites. We think, oh, well, there are promises for people that are not for me, and God loves them more than me. You know what you're saying? You're saying that, in fact, you really do believe that God made some inferior and some superior, but the Scripture never says that. The Scripture never tells us that God made people inferior. And I get a little burdened when we talk about the victorious Christian life, and it is a phrase that I tend to use a lot, but in fact, it almost paints a picture that I wish I wouldn't paint at times. You see, because we imply if there is a victorious Christian life, then there's also a defeated Christian life, and some of us say, yeah, that's me, the defeated. They're off and on, the hot and cold, the shoddy, the waiting for a big event, waiting for something to get me moving again in my life. That, that's my life. I, I'm not victorious. I'm not walking in victory. I'm kind of over here up and down, hot and cold. That, that's me. 
And what we've done is, is we have painted this life over here shoddy, up and down, hot and cold as the normal Christian life. That's not the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life in Scripture is the victorious Christian life. This is subnormal. Have you ever met anybody that just got saved? I mean, and was excited about it. You know, just got, you know, and this, oh man, I just, Jesus just came into my life. And you meet them and you, you almost get embarrassed. You know, they, some, in fact, especially if somebody gets saved older and, and later in life, they almost have to backslide to have fellowship with church members. I mean, I mean, we sit there and say, now, you know, one day you'll calm down and be like us on our way to Kimball Stern. You see, we have accepted, haven't we? We have accepted that mediocre is the way God wants us to live. That's not the way God saved us to live. And we do that because we think we're inferior and certainly God doesn't love me enough and hasn't given me enough that I could live in victory so I'm just going to settle for right here. You see, the normal Christian life is the life of victory. Defeat is not supposed to be normal. It is supposed to be the exception and not the rule in the way that we live our life. The victorious life that God gives us the ability to be overcomers is not for a super deluxe, elite bland, uh, brand of Christians. It's for everybody. It's God's promise to every believer, and we need to recognize what God's done for us and live in light of it. Secondly, we need to rely. Blessed, He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. There is nothing lacking. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, does God lack anything? Does God lack anything? Okay, so if God doesn't lack anything and He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, do we lack anything? We shouldn't. He didn't say, now I'm going to divvy out all my blessings to this crowd over here. But you folks over here, y'all you, just... Y'all just going to have to do without some. Sorry, you know, love you, but you're just going to have to settle for a little less than the best. Then God wouldn't be unconditionally loving, would he? You see, God loves us unconditionally. That means God lacks nothing, and we should lack nothing. We don't come short in the grace of God. We don't come short in the fullness of God. You see, you can meet people and say, well, I know what I believe, but do you know whom you've believed? Have you applied who he is to your life? Have you allowed him to infiltrate your life? And what happens is sometimes we get inferior and we feel insecure and we start trying to add things to our lives. And it's a relationship. You know, if I, if I could just have a relationship with somebody, if I could just, I would be complete if I had a relationship. What you're saying is that you don't feel complete in Christ and yet Paul says you are. If I just had this thing, if I just lived here, if I had that, if I could be this person, if I could change this about myself, then, then I would feel secure and we begin to look outside of Christ for the lacking areas of our life. Now, there's a lot of discussion, and, and I do not want to get in a theological debate this morning. I have no intention of doing it. I, I can fellowship with a lot of people who disagree with me theologically. But there's a lot of discussion in Christian circles about the second blessing. 
And I want to address that for a moment about what I believe in my humble and accurate opinion, which I highly respect, <laughs> what I believe that is. I believe that the... It, let, me, let me define what it is from my perspective and then tell you what I think it is in reality. The second blessing, when most people say, I've had the second blessing, or they talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or whatever term might be being used at the time, this is what I think they mean. It's an encounter with the Holy Spirit after the initial salvation experience. An encounter with the Holy Spirit after the initial salvation experience. In other words, somewhere along the line in their life, they, they got... Uh, just a, became aware that there was more to the Christian life than what they'd been experiencing. There was a great book, it's been out probably 40 years, called They Found the Secret. It's about the turning point, the significant crisis moments in the lives of 40 believers when, when God did a work in them and moved them from nominal Christianity to normal Christianity, to powerful Christianity. It's an, and it's an experience with the Holy Spirit after the initial act of salvation. Let me tell you what I think it is. I think the second blessing is you discovering for the first time what you got the first time. That's all it is. The second blessing is you waking up to the reality that when God saved you, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you to fill you with power, to fill you with love, to fill you with joy, to fill you with peace, to give you the ability to overcome, to give you the ability to have victory in your life. You realize it, and it was so real to you, you thought you'd gotten saved again. I remember the moment when, I mean, I just came to an awareness that God had done something in my life that I had never seen Him do before, and it was like being saved all over again. And you know, that's happened to me five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. Because every time God shows me something new about Himself, every time God takes me a little closer into His arms of love, I discover something new and the joy and the peace and the power that begins to flow into my life begins to overwhelm me in such a way, it's just almost like being saved again. I mean, I could see people come down the aisle with tears in their eyes and a smile on their face, and they've been set free from sin, and I can identify with that because, yeah, that's, I know what that feels like. You see, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you when you got saved. And you don't need more of the Holy Spirit. The, more, the Holy Spirit needs more of you. God just needs to take over. And you see, when you let the Holy Spirit of God have His way, I mean have His I mean hands off, Lord, I'm tired of running my life. I'm tired of trying to figure it out. I'm tired of trying to dress up on the outside, but I'm empty on the inside. I'm tired of playing the game of church. I'm tired of pretending. I'm tired of going through religious motions. I'm weary of trying to do good and to bolster myself up. When you just let go and say, God, take control of my life, it's almost like being saved over again. And most of us, tragically settle for second best. And we live a defeated life and we think, well, this is the way it's got to be. I'm telling you on the authority of God's Word, it doesn't have to be that way. 
You don't have to live in defeat. You don't have to live in bondage. You don't have to live with insecurity. You can live with the freedom that comes to you in a relationship with Jesus Christ where he's not just Savior, but he is Lord and his spirit overwhelms you with his power and he reaches down and grabs you and embraces you and says, you're mine. And it changes everything about you. It changes the way you look at other people. It changes the way you look at yourself. And all of a sudden you realize that there is something more to the Christian life than you've experienced before. And you know what? You don't have to be weird to do that. Uh, you, you know, some people, I, I tell you folks, as Baptists, some of us are so cotton-picking scared of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't violate your personality, and the Holy Spirit never does anything but one thing, and that's bring Jesus Christ to the forefront. Why are we scared of Jesus Christ being at the forefront? Why are we scared of God's Spirit taking control? Has God ever set out to hurt you? No. Why are we afraid to let God just let, let, let all the chains and all the barriers off and just say, Lord, I'm tired of trying to figure it out myself. I'm tired of trying to live up to everybody else's expectations, everybody else's pleasures. I'm tired of worrying about popularity polls. I'm tired of trying to think if I've pleased everybody, if I've said hi to the right people, if I look right, if I dress right, if I have the appropriate attire on. I'm tired of worrying about that, Lord. It's just you. That's all I want. That's all I want. Now, I skipped something way back on the front page, and I just realized that. <laughs> some, some, some real sufficient note that's going, he skipped a blank, he skipped a blank, he just skipped a blank. I'm going to fill it up with the Lord right now. Okay, let's, let me go back to that. The grace of God will exalt a person without inflating him and humble a person without debasing him. Now, the reason that came to mind is because I, I need to tell you what biblical humility is. Biblical humility is not strutting. Biblical humility is just accepting what God says about you. That's all it is. You see, we, we thought biblical humility was kicking yourself all the time. And, I, you know, I meet Christians, they do this. They're always walking around going, I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm so bad, I'm so worthless. I'm so bad. I, I can't believe the way I am. Or they're walking around like this. No, please don't look at me. I'm just nothing in Christ. I'm just nothing in Christ. Biblical humility is just accepting what God said about you. Now, why are you kicking yourself, and why are you beating yourself up, and why do you talk yourself down all the time when God says you are heirs and joint heirs with Christ? You reign and rule with Christ. You're a son of God, a child of God. You're a kingdom of priests. Why do we beat ourselves up when God's trying to build us up? i tell you why. Because we're listening to the enemy whisper in our ears who tells us you're not good enough for God to love you like that. You don't maintain the level that God wants you to maintain. You, you can't live up to the standard of God. And you know what does that to us? Legalism does that to us. Because legalism says you have to live up to the law, and none of us ever live up to the law. Overcoming the inferiority complex is a lot about just receiving the fact that it's all by grace. You didn't have anything to do with it, and you can't do anything to make it happen. God's just got to do it in you. Now, there is as much difference 
I'm back to where I wanted to be. Just had to take that little parenthesis right there. Everybody okay, choir? You still with me? Okay. I just had to take a little parenthesis. I, I just want to state something here that I believe to be very true. There's as much difference between a carnal Christian who walks in their flesh or who lives an up-and-down Christian life, hot and cold, shoddy. There's as much difference in that and the victorious life of Christ over here as there is a difference between a lost man and a saved man. I believe the difference is so radical between carnality and spirituality that's as different as between lost and saved. Because over here, we're just trying to live life on our terms. Over here, we're walking with Christ, we're filled with Christ, we're empowered by Christ. He gives us the ability to do what He's called us to do. He calls us, He equips us, He proves us, He tests us, He motivates us, He energizes us, He fills us. And the spiritual life is so different from the carnal life, some of us think, well, you know, I just have to be content to be this way. I don't think so. Because, see, if you did, then God does have favorites and you are inferior. But God's Word doesn't say that. And what we have to do today is we have to realize and recognize and rely on what God has said in His Word, and then we rest in it. Look at verse 5. I love verse 5 and 6. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. Now, I don't know what your family life was like. I don't know if you were raised by your natural parents or if you were adopted. I don't know how they treated you. I don't know if you got something against your mom or your dad or if your home was bad or your stepmom was bad or your stepdad was bad or whatever. But I'm going to tell you this. You've been adopted into the family of God. And you don't get a better father than God the Father. And you'll never have a better friend than Jesus. And you'll never have a better encourager than the Holy Spirit. You have been predestined to the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. Not to the church, not to a Sunday school class. You got adopted to Christ Himself. When He brought you in, He brought you all the way in right to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. You know, God just said, I'm just going to do something kind for Him. And He willed to do it to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Folks, we kill ourselves trying to be accepted by other people when we've been already accepted. We worry so much about image. I served a pastor one time, and he said to me, these words came out of his lip, and I almost died when he said, he said, you know, image is everything in the ministry. What difference does it make? If all men speak well of you and God is not pleased with you, what difference does it make? If you've lived your life trying to live up to the standards of success of a denomination or a church or a group of people, but God cannot say well done over your life and your works, what difference does it make? I tell you, sometimes us preachers, we're so worried about our image, we've got to make sure we've got a coat and tie on everywhere we go. That's why I go out in public in jeans and, and shorts and golf shirts sometimes. I just want people to see, you know, I'm normal. I'm normal. My, my pastor growing up painted his house in a suit. <laughs> Honest to goodness, I drove by there and saw him painting his house in a suit. 
And I asked his son about it, who was one year younger than me. I said, why is your dad paying a house in a suit? He said, you never know when somebody's going to call you to the hospital. And I said, I tell you what, brother, if I sick at the hospital, I don't care if you got a suit on or blue jeans. If you come, I'm just glad you're there. It don't matter. You know, I, oh, don't come pray with me. You don't have a coat and tie We're so worried about our image, and we're so worried about looking good, but God's looking in here, folks. God wants to know what's going on in here. It's inside the heart of man where God looks. God said, don't look on the outside, look on the heart. The problem with the proliferation of ministry today is we have put on a ministry and a version of Christianity that looks good on television and looks good on the media, and we play to the media and we forget to play to God. Oh, it's been freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. God doesn't change us so He can love us. God loves us and then He changes us. God doesn't say, now when you change and when you fit this image and when you get inside the little vacuum and little pack that I want you to be in, then I'm going to love you with all my heart. God said, I'm going to love you and after you find out that I love you, I'm going to begin the process of changing you into the image of my Son. See, God doesn't change to require you to change to be loved. God just says, if you'll let me love you, I will change you. I'll change the way you feel about yourself. I'll change the way you understand the way I relate to people. I'll change you because you let me change you from the inside. Let me just give you some things. We're not going to look at that list on the back. That list is powerful and would take us another week to look through, but I just want to give you I think six statements that are not in your notes that we need a clear understanding of. And they're very, very simple. Number one, God accepted me through Jesus Christ. That's grace. God accepted me through Jesus Christ. God didn't accept me because I was confirmed. God didn't accept me because I was baptized. God did not accept me because I joined a church because my good works were better than my bad works. God accepted me through Jesus Christ. That's the grace of God. Statement number two, I accept the fact that he's accepted me. That's faith. I accept the fact that he has accepted me, not on the basis of works, lest any man should boast, but by grace, through faith. And so I accept that God has accepted me because he said so. How do you know you're going to heaven? Because God said I would if I believed in Jesus Christ. I accept it by faith. Statement number three. I'm able now to accept myself. I'm able now to accept myself. That's peace. You see... God accepted me through Jesus Christ, not on the basis of anything I could do or could not do. That's grace. I accept the fact that God has accepted me. That's faith. Now I am able to accept myself. That's peace. I don't have to fret and worry about image. I don't have to worry about if I please everybody. I don't have to worry if I have the right clothes or the right look. I don't have to worry if I graduated from the right school, if I have the right friends, if I've made the right connections. I can be at peace with myself. Number four, nothing can take me out of his hand. Paul says that in Romans chapter 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can take me out of his hand. That's security. 
You see, my security is not in my opinion polls. My security is not in my ability to perform. My security is in my relationship with Christ. Number five, because he accepts me, I can accept you. That's love. Because he accepts me, I can accept you. So I have a problem accepting people who are different from me. It may be because you've never accepted yourself. Because when you see that God loves you and you know all the insecurities and frailties of your life, then you don't have any problem believing that God can accept somebody else. You see, because he's accepted me, I can accept you. That's love. But then there's one more. We can accept each other now. And that's freedom. We can accept each other now. And that's freedom. I don't know what you came here needing today, but I know that God has provided grace and faith and love and peace and security and freedom. Whatever you sense is lacking in your life, those things will fill it up. There's nothing lacking in God. It's only a lack of our ability to accept by faith what he said in his word. I'm not asking God to make me a great preacher. I'm not asking God to make us the biggest church. I'm not asking God to give us the greatest of this or the greatest of that. The only thing I'm asking God for is, Lord, make us more like Jesus. Because when we're more like Jesus, then whatever God gives us, that will be what we need. You see, folks, you don't build a great church by building buildings. You build a great church by building people who once they understand who they are in Christ, then they go tell other people who haven't discovered it yet, let me tell you who you can be in Christ. Let me tell you the difference that Christ makes in a life. Let me tell you how Jesus Christ took me in my insecurity and built me up and gave me confidence that I didn't know I had. Let me tell you about a friend of mine, Moses. Let me tell you about Jeremiah. Let me tell you about Abraham. Let me tell you about Amos. Let me tell you about my neighbor. Let me tell you about me and how God has changed me from the inside. And you're not going to get it by reading a self-help book. You're not going to get it at a seminar. You're going to get it by reading this book and allowing the Holy Spirit to take the truth of this book about what God has done for you in Christ and putting the truth of this book in this heart and then letting it live out through this life. That's how it works. By the way, it's not a secret. It's here for anybody to read that wants to read it. It's not a formula. All the ingredients you need are right here just by obeying what this book says. It's not a plan. It's not a scheme. It's not some idea. It's the Word of God 
for people that He loves. And He redeemed and set us free so that we could know how to live in the fullness of who He is. Sometimes we sing this little song, Holy Spirit, Thou art welcome in this place. You just start living and asking the Lord to feel welcome in your heart. And when he comes in, don't treat him like a guest. Let him be at home. And you'll see a change in you that is so incredible, it'll almost be like you've been saved all over again. He wants to do that for you more than you can ever imagine. Would you stand with me with heads bowed and eyes closed, please? If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you thought you had to get better, maybe you've believed that you needed to, to be good enough to be saved, but it's all on the unconditional grace and love of God. God just loves you. He wants to save you. He wants to forgive you of your sin. The Scripture says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's confessing that Jesus Christ is who you need and what you need. It's confessing that you can't save yourself, that you need someone else to save you, and that is Jesus Christ. So this morning, whether you're in the balcony or the back or even watching by television, if you just simply say, Lord, I confess my inadequacy. I confess that I can't save myself, that I need you to save me and to forgive me and to cleanse me. I'm tired of trying to live up to an image or live up to a standard that I know I can't live up to. And Lord, I accept the fact that you died to save me from my sin. In that moment, he will do it. If you're in this room today, then I want to encourage you in the moment when we begin to sing, the choir begins to sing, Change My Heart, O oh God, that you step out from where you are and you find one of our staff members and you tell them, I just asked God to change me today. That's all you got to say to them. And they'll direct you to a person who will walk with you through what you've just done, give you some material to help you with your decision this morning. But some of you are here this morning and you may have been in church a long time. Well, when somebody talks about the power of the Holy Spirit and somebody talks about victorious Christian life, it's an alien concept to you. It might as well come from another world. It doesn't have to be. It can be as real to you as the air that you breathe and the ground you're standing on if you just receive it. Say, Lord... I want to ask you to fill me up with an understanding of what the Holy Spirit's done for me. Holy Spirit, make me usable. I'm available. Now make me usable. And if you just hand over to the Lord in these moments those inadequacies, those fears, those anxieties, those all that garbage that you've carried with you up to this point, and say, Lord, I know it's not I but Christ. So, Lord, I'm going to give you all this stuff because I'm tired of carrying it. And I ask you to come in 
and make me more aware than I've ever been that the Holy Spirit loves me and will fill me and take control. And I tell you, if you'll do it, it may not be an emotional moment. You may not shout for joy or jump a pew, but I guarantee you this, it'll be like being saved all over again in the way you live. It will move you from carnality and up and down shoddy living into a daily walk of victory with Christ as you trust the Holy Spirit of God to lead you. We're glad that you have joined us for the Sherwood Hour from Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia. If you would like a copy of today's service, please send us your name and address to the Sherwood Hour, 2201 Whispering Pines Road, Albany, Georgia, 31707. That's the Sherwood Hour, 2201 Whispering Pines Road in Albany, Georgia, zip code 31707. If you would like a videotape of our worship celebration, kindly enclose $10 with your order. Or if you would like an audio cassette of our pastor's message, enclose $3 with your order. Remember to include your complete name, address, and telephone number. And ask for the tape number that you see on the screen. We would enjoy hearing from you by mail or by phone. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to visit with us here at Sherwood. And we hope that you'll join us again next week at this time for the Sherwood Hour from Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia.